this is going to be ideal from my perspective because I recognized that I had an 8 o'clock session on Saturday morning that only the diehards would be here. And then if we put Kent Brantley in one room and me in another, then that the crowd would probably not divide evenly. <laughs> well, I show it being 8 o'clock. Should we go ahead and start? This is Men Matter, which is the sequel to a women's cycle of life in community health evangelism. I'm John Payne with Medical Ambassadors. Medical Ambassadors had the big, hairy, audacious goal in about the year 2000, that by the year 2015, we would have seen Chase started in all 115, 119 countries of the developing world. Now, developing world isn't quite the term people use anymore. It's more proper to call it global south or majority world. But um, we were hoping that we would be able to plant Che in that number of countries. We have some bad news for you. It's 2014, and we've got less than two months left, and Medical Ambassadors only has paid staff in about 41 countries. And they've been able to train staff from other missions in about 40 more countries. So that means maybe 81. But the staff that we have trained in other places have trained other people. And at this point, the Global Chain Network, Brian Benz here is a noble representative of that group, has members from 625 different organizations working in 126 countries. Does that mean that we achieved our objective? I don't think so, because the 126 includes some countries that aren't global south, that aren't majority world. There are minority people like the United States. But... We came very close, and the few countries that don't have CHE programs at this point are very difficult to start CHE programs in. Now, first of all, let me get a feel for the audience here. What does the word a rhetorical question mean? A, a question that needs no answer. I've got a little secret for you. All my questions need answers. <laughs> so I really want people to interact and talk back because otherwise this is going to be a little different than what I'm used to. Normally if we had a crowd like this, we'd have the chairs set up in a circle and I'd be sitting down. But because of PowerPoint kinds of things, we need to do things in a somewhat different fashion. But we still want this to be very interactive so if you have a question, stick your hand up here and we'll stop and answer your question. And if I ask you a question, stick your hand up and speak because I don't want to hear myself talking the whole time because I am very boring. Should we talk a little bit about community health evangelism? Community health evangelism. How many of you have, have been through the training of trainers, level one training for 
community health evangelism. Okay? So the group is not large. I have a special reward for those of you who have taken TOT1. We have a, a CD that has all of the lessons in, in the, the CHE format that you have on your sheet, the, the outline here. All of those actual full lessons are available, but I'm trying not to pass them out to people who haven't been trained how to do the participatory kind of training that we do. So if you have had training of trainers, see the lady in purple over here, my wife, Medell, and she will give you a copy of, this, of the CD that has all of those lessons on it. Now, because some of the rest of you might have been disappointed, there is a second possibility. I have brought along the Bible story in questions that we use for the spiritual part of community health evangelism that isn't taught in quite the same format. It has instructions on the DVD and over 650 Bible stories with story-specific questions. So that's something that we'll give to you for a price. The price is we need to have you put your signature on our sign-up page, which means you'll have to throw away our, our mailings for uh, a while until we get tired of sending them to you. <coughs> Should we talk about what community health evangelism actually is? Um, CHE is a strategy for individual and community development through training that is both spiritual and physical. It's something which has various different elements that can be used. One of those elements is women's cycle of life. Women's cycle of life was really needed because women around the world are often not given a chance to speak, are not given any importance whatsoever, and they live life in the shadow of the men who dominate them. Women's cycle of life has everything to do with a woman's worth in the sight of God. It has everything to do with family relationships, with their children, but also with their husband. And it has a lot to do with the stages of a woman's life, particularly from about menarche to menopause. So those things have a lot to do with childbirth and pregnancy. And women taking these lessons have discovered that they are truly valued by God. And it means that they are very excited about what they're doing. Now, we had expected there might be some pushback from having a women's cycle by training. Anybody have any ideas of what pushback we might have expected? The men in the community might say, what about us? Actually, we didn't get as much of that pushback as we expected. The reason we didn't is because men were very pleased with what they saw happening in their family. They were finding that they were in a position where the house was cleaner, the food was better, their wife smelled better and their children were better behaved, and they said, this women's cycle of life is good stuff. Don't leave us out. And that's where Men Matter came in. But before I talk about how that all happened, 
I think it's important for us to go back and get a little of the history of medical ambassadors. Medical ambassadors started off as a true worthy participant in the uh, Global Missions Health Conference because we did clinics around the world. The one difference is the clinics we ran were primarily staffed and led by national physicians who were Christians rather than by U.S. missionaries. We thought if we could give extra funding to these people that they would be more effective in a holistic sense wherever they were serving. And it worked really well with one possible exception and that is that we started seeing that people with worms in their stool and distended bellies would be treated and get better and four months later they would be back with their belly beginning to swell again and more worms in their stool. We said, now, this may be a good thing because this gives us another chance to present the gospel to this person who is returning with a recurrent infection. But we had to wonder whether that was really God's plan or not. So um, we began looking around for ways that we might do more preventive training. The difficulty is that much preventive training, at least from my medical school kind of background, was a public health officer who sat behind a desk and had very little contact with actual patients. So given the fact that you didn't have contact with people, you couldn't have an influence for Jesus Christ, and what good were you? Then came a man named Stanley Rowland. Stan Rowland had been working with the Agape Movement and Campus Crusade. There's a handout back here if you'd like to pick it up. Stan's uh, discovery was that if you, instead of doing prevention training yourself, you trained local villagers to be the people who went hut to hut talking about preventive medicine, you could train them to be the people who talked about who Jesus Christ was and what he meant to individuals in the process too. And that meant that you had a powerful combination. He was very excited about it and began teaching other groups outside of Campus Crusade. And one of the groups who discovered him was Medical Ambassadors International. We had trained in several parts of the world when the Agape movement of Campus Crusade decided that it was time to close that chapter of Campus Crusade's life. And Stan was looking for another mission to join. He approached medical ambassadors and said, if you are really excited about community health evangelism, I would be willing to come and be a staff member with medical ambassadors doing this exclusively provided medical ambassadors will focus primarily on community health evangelism and not spend so much of your resources on the clinics that you operate around the world. Well, imagine yourself being one of the physicians working in these clinics around the world. What did you think of community health evangelism now? Well, there was, there was some pushback. It was a difficult time for the mission, but we decided since we could do community health evangelism in a hundred clinics for the same cost as running 
one clinic, that perhaps it would be better for us to, to add community health evangelism to the clinics that we were running and turn those clinics over to someone else's management and see if we could offer community health evangelism as a strategy to as many other clinics as were willing to do it. So, that was our plan. The difficulty with our plan was that uh, community health evangelism does have some flaws. I was once told by a missionary who was working in the city of Addis Ababa. says, you know, I really like Che. It just sounds like that is community health evangelism. It really sounds like a great idea, but I don't think it's going to work here in Addis Ababa. The reason it's not going to work is it requires people who are poor, who are scratching for a living, to volunteer their time without being paid a red cent for the things they're doing. I don't think that's going to work here in Addis Ababa in the slums of the city. Does he have a good point? I think he does. So we needed to say, how can community health evangelism draw volunteers when it's something that doesn't pay most of the people who work anything other than the benefits they see for themselves, their family, and their community? Well, the first thing we discovered is that if Brian Benz would be the person who walked into the slum in Addis Ababa and said, I've got this great idea, it's called community health evangelism, how'd you like to start? There would be a big group of people who came around him and said, we're excited about community health evangelism. We really want to do this. What is it? And Brian would explain it to them and they would say, we'll pretend to be interested in community health evangelism, but we'll really wait until he starts passing out jobs. And then we'll be glad that we pretended we were interested when we didn't even know what it was. So we found that if you're going to start community health evangelism, you have to look first for a local champion in that community who's going to be the person who's going to say, this is something that I believe can work and I'm willing to recommend it to people who respect me in my own community. The next thing that we found was a helpful thing for getting volunteers is that we discovered any program owned by medical ambassadors was never going to be sustainable. We had to make them programs where the community felt its own leaders were in charge and that meant they were making the decisions about the community chose the leaders and then the leaders chose the people to be trained to go house to house to talk about the programs chosen. They had to choose the things that they were going to do, where they were going to do it, when they were going to do it, and where they were going to get the money to do it with. So with all those kinds of things, they had a, a better sense of ownership for what they were doing. Ownership helps. But we found that that wasn't enough by itself. You had to, If they were going to choose what was going to, go, going to happen you had to be prepared to teach them whatever they thought was important. 
So every time a new idea came up, we'd develop a new set of lessons. And now if you look at the, the new Che Lessons DVD that was started being distributed on Wednesday, I think, that Che Lessons DVD has over 13,000 files on it. Now, some of them are, are duplicate copies of the same lesson. But it is a huge number of different lessons that are available. Um, we found that one other thing that was really important to make community health evangelism work is that I couldn't let Brian be the person who was going into the slum in Addis Ababa to say, do you want to do CHE, community health evangelism? Because the moment people would see Brian, they would say, money. But if it was another Ethiopian who came in, they would say, I wonder if this Ethiopian has Brian behind him. But it wouldn't be quite as bad. And the more steps the Ethiopian got away from the Westerner, the more likely it was that people would say, this is really something that we need to choose to do or not do. No one else is going to pay us to do this. Medell? Medell says, why don't I advance my PowerPoint? Guess what? We don't use PowerPoint very much around the world. So we could choose local champions. We could choose local ownership. We could choose participatory training. Instead of telling people what was true, we could ask them what they thought was true. It's much easier to make your teaching culturally appropriative. Instead of you doing the deciding what's the case, you let them decide what is true and then talk among themselves. And usually you can ask questions that get them to say, no, that might not be true after all. So that there's a self-correcting kind of process that is much more culturally sensitive than going and telling people that they're wrong. We've talked about the diversified lessons. We've talked about keeping foreigners away. But we still had a problem. We were doing all these things, and it was still hard to make community health evangelism have volunteers that would be sustained, particularly men. Men are difficult to motivate because they have this sense of responsibility that says, I need to raise enough money to support my family. In some cases, men would say, I need to raise enough money to support both my family and my habits. So it was, it was a situation where men weren't always very reliable in the way they spent the very little money they had. But they were less likely to volunteer on a long-term kind of basis. So we started looking for saying, what can we do um, to make them a little bit more likely to volunteer? And one of the things that we discovered is that if people do things for a physical objective they are much more likely to say, I need to be paid. If they're doing something as a spiritual ministry or a call from God, then it becomes more likely that they're willing to volunteer. Uh, we have worked very hard on keeping the balance between physical and spiritual something that is um, carefully maintained. 
we've had more places where they got too involved in the physical and not enough involved in the spiritual, but we've had some where it was the other way around. If they're only focusing on the spiritual, non-Christians go to sleep. And they don't really aren't interested anymore. And you become a group that's talking to Christians only. But if you focus too much on the physical kinds of things, people become more selfish and really don't want to volunteer. A great example of watching what happened in the right way, with the right balance, is the programs that happened in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In about 1991, villagers from a small village outside in Bujimai, Congo, came to medical ambassadors, staff people who were there, and said, we wonder if you would be willing to teach us how we could do things for ourselves instead of doing them for us. Because we watch other missions around here doing things for people, but as soon as those missions leave, the good things that they're doing stop. So if you'd be willing to teach us how to do something for ourselves, we think we can keep it going ourselves. And the medical ambassador's staff said, we'll be willing to do that for you on two conditions. One of the conditions, you need to have your own leaders be in charge of what happens. The second condition is this needs to be a program that is a combination of physical and spiritual development. And I have been to that place in Congo. They do the spiritual development in a way that is really fun, imaginative, and draws people in. And they do the physical parts in a way that people can see the benefit. They're very excited about both parts of things. You can't get them to say which is the more important. Well, the first village that started doing community health evangelism there chose some projects for themselves. They chose, we're going to do improved sanitation. We're going to clean the water that we're drinking. We're going to improve the agriculture. We're going to dig pit latrines. And within a year, when other villagers would walk through this village, they'd say, what's going on here? Something's different in this village. The children look fatter than our village. And we see no flies on their faces. What's going on here? And the first villager said, it's called community health evangelism. It's not complicated. We'd be willing to teach you. And the other villagers would say, oh, would you? And they would say, on two conditions. So within six years, the one village that was doing community health evangelism there became 56 villages doing community health evangelism. And we were really excited, but God had something to show us because civil war broke out at that point. Our missionaries were evacuated along with every other missionary in the country. And for four years, we didn't know if the money we sent in to support trainers theirs was going to community health evangelism or was going to revolution. At the end of the four years, peace was declared. The missionaries went back in and we discovered that of the 56 villages that had been doing community health evangelism, 
after four years of a lot of it hiding in the jungle while the armies marched back and forth across their towns, there were 113 programs that were still going. So we were hopeful. One of our supporters said, it really doesn't matter how many people are using your strategy. What matters is whether there has been transformation happening that's both physical and spiritual. And if you measure it yourself, you will not be believed. So he said, I suggest you send in outside experts and I think you should send outside experts enough that I will pay for them to go. Well, we couldn't very well say no under those circumstances, so they asked Dr. James Engel, who'd been studying spiritual development on mission field settings around the world for 30 years as a missiologist. That's a person who teaches missions in seminary. And they asked Dr. Uh, Terry Andrews, who is a pediatrician working with World Vision in Nairobi, will you come measure the physical impact? Dr. Andrews agreed as well. They both brought in teams, and Dr. Andrews said, "Ah, I'm sorry, we've got a problem here. Many of the villages doing community health evangelism did not write down baseline data when they started, so it's harder for me to tell you what kind of change has happened. I'm afraid the best thing we can do in this situation would be a cohort study where we randomly choose villages that are using community health evangelism as a strategy and compare them with villages that are not using it. So they chose 35 villages and they went and looked at those villages. The villages, um, and what they did is they, they took the villages and went to the public health department and said, what is your infant mortality rate for X village? And they found that of the 35 villages they chose, the infant mortality rates in the places using community health evangelism were one-half what they were in the places that were not. And Dr. Andrews said, this would be better if it wasn't Congo because nobody respects the health statistics of the health department in Congo. It's no better than any of the rest of the infrastructure in this country. So they said, let's do a different way of doing this to verify it. We'll go measure how big around the mid-upper arm is in every child in these 35 villages that's between age 1 and age 5. That's because there's a good British Journal of Medicine study that shows that any time during that age range, if a child has less than a 12-centimeter circumference to their mid-upper arm, they have a 98% chance of being malnourished. And if it's more than 13 centimeters, it's less than 50% chance of being malnourished. Simple measurement, all the children in all these 35 villages, and they found that malnutrition was half as common in the places doing CHE. And Dr. Andrews said, I think there's a difference. She's later told us in person that it was very obvious that there was a big difference in the villages just intuitively, but it was a little tricky putting a number on it. When uh, Dr. Uh, Engel stepped up to to look at the spiritual side of things, he says, well, I know the district where these CHE programs were happening started off with two evangelical churches. One was Mennonite, one was Presbyterian. 
they had taken 20 years to plant. It says, now 10 years later, I look at these same communities and there are 48 evangelical churches, not just of those two denominations, of other denominations as well. So it says that would be a good sign, but I know that people sometimes go to church and don't really get changed as far as who they are spiritually. So let me ask some other questions. And he asked five questions. One question would be, <coughs> Do you know how, if you know how to read, are you reading your Bible every day? Are you involved in a small group Bible study that meets at least two times a month? Are you praying on a regular schedule? Are you talking to your neighbors about what it means to know Jesus Christ personally? And what percentage of your income are you giving to your local church? And based on that, he said, this is not only effective spiritually, but this is the most effective spiritual impact that I have seen in any mission that I have studied in 30 years of studying missions. At which point we thought that was a good sign and we had to make a tough choice. And that is, do we send the American missionaries back to the place again or not? What would you have done? We chose not to send them back. We continued to support the nationals who were there and we sent that couple to a different area. I've been back to that same area to see what is happening And when I was there in 2012, the villages that had been 113 11 years before were now 609. It's almost 700 now. So it is possible that things can be sustained and and maintained, but it takes that balance between physical and spiritual. Another way of helping programs be sustained would be to focus on disability. I would not have believed this when a group that focused on disability in Ethiopia, you notice a lot of my stories come from Africa. That's because I lived there for four years. But there are stories like this that can be quoted from other places as well. Um, The disability people came to us and said, we think that if you were to offer training in disability, people would choose to do things that empower the disabled people in their community. And I said, we'll try it, but I bet you people are going to want to keep on focusing on the things that benefit the well because the well are the people making the decision. They did the training and people got very excited about disability and disability has been another thing that has helped sustain interest in community health evangelism in that place. There's something about honoring the people who are regularly dishonored in our society that has a way of God's moving in and motivating the program to be special. What happened here? Sorry. Um, We found that focusing on women was another way of making things sustainable. And that Women's Cycle of Life program I talked about at the beginning, that was another thing that was tremendously helpful because in general, women have been much more willing to volunteer extensive amounts of time over a long period of time than men have. 
So having specific training for women has been a huge help to making medical ambassadors and community health evangelism, volunteerism sustainable. So that's another thing that has been a big help to us. But some of the women who were involved in the training in Ethiopia said, um, that may not be all there is to it. So let's talk a little bit about women's cycle of life before I go on to men's cycle of life. Programs that were in Haiti and the Dominican Republic said, we'd rather not even call it women's cycle of life. We'll call it family cycle of life and we'll include men's training as well so that the men won't be left out. The program in Ethiopia, the women said, if you teach us all about our health and about the way we should relate as a family, but don't teach our husbands, that's like teaching us to clap with one hand. So they said, please offer women's cycle of life type training that is aimed at our husbands as well. So they tried that. Um, Dr. Bob Hawkinson, who was there at the time with his wife, Michael Ann, devised one of the first men's cycle of life programs. And they taught husbands about how the Bible suggests that they treat their wives. And they were shocked, said, we have been Christians for many years, but no one ever really told us how we should treat our wives. We need to repent. There was, so they did the training, where part of the training was men by themselves and women by themselves. And part of the training was men and women together. Now, if you see Ethiopian church services, men and women together means men on one side of the auditorium, women on the other side of the auditorium. But what uh, happened in, in the Ethiopian training is they put husbands and wives next to each other. And as they went through the training, one of the particular husbands who felt very convicted by what was being said stood up. And he went to his wife and kneeled down in front of his wife and said, Wife, my dear, I have treated you badly for our whole married life. I have not honored you the way I should honor you. Please forgive me. And this is what happened. This is the woman putting her hands on her husband, saying, My dear, I forgive you. Now that's not an easy kind of thing because after 30 years of being mistreated, to say that one apology makes it all better, one apology does not make it all better. But one apology is the first step in the right direction. It's the kind of thing we hope to see happening through men's cycle of life. Now, I have given each of you a copy of the curriculum. Whoops. Let's go back again. The curriculum we have um, is divided up into different areas. There's area about men's character. And there's area about... Um, the
men understanding women, understanding what pregnancy is about, how it happens, and how they're part of the process. We have some lessons about men's health as well, problems that only happen for men. And then some studies about men's roles. My confession for you is that when I was asked to do this talk for, the, for this conference, they said, please pick a subject which is really cutting edge about what community health evangelism is doing. Well, this is so cutting edge that some of the material that we have is really draft material that has not been tested. My confession about the stuff about men's health is it's aimed at people at a nurse practitioner level. And it probably needs to be um, simplified a great deal before it will be really usable in different um, village kind of settings. But it's the sort of thing where we, we've developed it. If, if you're a member of the Global Chain Network, you're able to get the lessons DVD and the new DVD that's just been distributed has the same material on it that we have here on the CD, except that it doesn't have some of the things that are on this CD because what we have on the CD includes some things that are really too draft to go on the, sec the, the material that's distributed around the world. But if you've had TOT1 and are willing to sign up with Medell afterwards, she'll be willing to give you a copy of the draft version of the Men's Cycle of Life Lessons. Um, questions? Well, it would be hard to do if you walked in with a short-term team mm -hmm. and said, please identify the person who's going to be the community leaders who ought to be the head of a CHE program here. I, I've never found that work very well. But what does work is having people who are insiders to the community talk about what is community health evangelism? What kinds of things have been done in other places? Actually, that's the minority what happens. Most of the time what happens is a village hears about a village across the mountain that is doing something different and it's really working for them. The people are really proud of themselves and they're excited and the place is changing. People want to have something like that for themselves. And they come across the mountain and they say, we represent such and such village. Will you teach us how to do this? So the community health evangelism started off having to have this very long enter the village process, which if you look at the original material said it often took nine months of just being friends and talking to people and telling stories and listening to what was important to them to sort of assess whether there was a local champion in that place who would say, yes, this is something we want to do. Nowadays, local champions are often coming across the mountain saying, I heard about your village. I want to see this happen in my village. And you, you go visit and discover that this is a person who is not just a person who is interested in Che, but is a person who is respected by the village that he comes from.
or she comes from. And this person is the person who links you to the village and helps you find a, a venue for drawing people together to describe what could possibly be done. Now, some of the venues are communities. In many parts of the world, a community is a better place to start than a church. But there are parts of the world where you have to start with churches. Those parts are generally places that have had a lot of help from the outside before. Outside help has a way of debilitating people, of making them unwilling to try to do things for themselves. And so the more outside help they've had before, the the more that you have to focus on getting a local insider to say, we can do this thing, because you're never going to be able, as an outsider, to convince them that you're not there to give them what they need. So, yes, it is a problem finding those local people. It helps to use a local champion to help you find those people. In some cases, it is community to community, but the commu- when a community sends someone to train another village in Che, it is usually the person who was in their village training them to do Che. Uh, we find that community health evangelism does not happen with no one being paid. You, if it's going to be a full-time person who's not going to do anything besides community health evangelism, it really helps to have them get some support. Sometimes the support can come from the local community. There are places that have community gardens that help pay for their CHE program. But in some cases, the support for the local CHE trainers comes from the outside. Medical Ambassadors is one of the groups that supports a lot of those national people in the places where we are sort of the sponsoring agency. But there are many of the other 625 missions that are part of the global CHE network are doing the same thing with nationals who are their staff people where they come from. So what about entering uh, communities in areas where there are no CHA programs across the map? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? It takes more time. You have to have a person who comes to the community with some reason for being there. It's very suspicious if a person who has no visible means of support just comes and starts befriending people in the community. But if you go for some reason doing business or um, doing training kinds of things. Um, I've, I know one person who's going to do um, uh, doula training or Lamaze kind of training for, for women to go in and train women like this as a venue, as, as a reason to be in the community. But then as you're in the community, you begin telling stories about what you've heard from other places. And you look and pray f- for a local champion. And if you find that local champion, then you can begin to take the next step. Does that answer the question, Wayne? Uh, medical ambassadors began doing CHE exclusively in 1990. So when was the first village up and running with the CHE program? 
first villages were up and running with CHE programs prior to Medical Ambassador's adoption. Uh, Stan Rowland started doing this in East Africa in about 1984. So it's, it's been going for a while. Some of the early programs are ones we tell stories about now, but uh, they may not be the best stories out there. find that a generational impact, uh, I would think that the next generation that comes along that has experienced their, their parents, the previous generation has experienced change, is it more easily implemented or accepted or spread in the next generation after the first one? Sadly, that the story with community health evangelism is often that people do things for a period of time until they feel like they've sort of mastered it, they've gotten the benefit that they can, and then some of them will go on to something else. Women's Cycle of Life and men's mat- Men Matters training is exactly the kind of things that you can do to, to rejuvenate CHE programs that feel like they have done that and been there and it's time to move on to something else. Men particularly are the move-on kind, so women are very helpful in terms of keeping this sustainable for a longer period of time. The other thing is that Satan does not like community health evangelism. So if there's not a group that's continuing to pray for protection of what is happening, we find things do decay. Another thing that is very helpful is that if you have a group that is constantly praying for what is happening, that happens less and it keeps the balance between physical and spiritual things better. And the more that people do community health evangelism because God is calling them to do it, the more that they will continue to do it for a long period of time. If they're doing it for selfish reasons, selfish reasons tire. Yeah? The women's cycle of life training is not really a subject here, but we, we taught them a wide variety of things. A number of it was were Bible stories about women in the Bible who were role model characters. So that was sort of the basis for what men thought of, of what women, God thought of women. In addition to that, you tried to say, what are the kinds of things that women do not understand about their own bodies that are frustrating to them if they don't understand menstruation and pregnancy and um, how their body is designed by God, then those are things which are of great interest to, to women who've never heard anything about it. But if they start learning that sometimes your husband will perform better if you treat him with respect and you do the kinds of things where you do your best to cook meals that will be special for him, and you treat your children in a way that allows them to respect their husband or their father as well, it makes the husband, instead of being hostile about special training his wife is getting, saying, this is very special training that I should be getting too. And that's where Man Matter happens. But it's the, the training, it depends a lot on what they choose. Medell, you want to comment some more? Yeah. Um. Come here so people can hear you talking on... Stand next to me. 
other kinds of things um, for the women's cycle of life um, would be hygiene. We were, I, I got to interview some women in Ethiopia who had had this training a year before and asked them how have their lives changed. And they said, we didn't know soap was for hands or for, for bodies. We thought it was just for washing clothes. Or they had um, a tradition when their mothers were teaching them that if you had a baby, you can't wash your hands for six months or it'll hurt that baby. So you imagine what that does. Um, so that was an enormous lesson. Everybody I talked to of about 12 women all said, oh, we're cleaner, we're healthier, we're not spending so much on medicine. It had all these ripple effects because they washed their hands. So a lot of things. And then um, the fact that God is the one who writes the stories of these women in the Bible. God is the one who's writing your life story, the same author. And that was big for them, just, just the worth. <coughs> so those spiritual lessons were enormous, and the physical lessons were enormous to them as well. Thank you for asking a question. It got the real authority up here. <laughs> so this is kind of a follow-up to what you were saying. Um, when you do have a cultural practice that is a, is a tradition that leads to negative or poor sanitation, how do you convince the people that you know washing your hands and washing your body after pregnancy, and how do you convince them that that's a good thing to do? You have the advantage that many people know that Western medicine does have some advantages and that they have seen people who have been to Western-style treatment clinics that had good results. So you have a little bit of credibility from rumors about what they do in the West. But a lot of the credibility will come from saying people will not believe anything until they've tried it and see whether it makes a difference. And it's sometimes difficult to get that early adopter to be the person who will try the thing that is different. But what we find is that the people who are willing to try and suddenly have better results become people who are change agents for the community and something that's tried on a very small scale to start with, when they see a child not having a single episode of diarrhea for a three-month period... They say, what's going on here? And and that's the kind of thing that happens over time. Other questions? Yeah, Medell? Um, Stand next to me if you're going to talk. <laughs> they want to record it. Oh, we have some really practical, visual kind of lessons. Hand washing is one. Uh, we'll put basins out front, put chalk on people's hands standing there, and one person just dips their hands in the water. How clean is it? You know, the next person washes like this and wipes it on towel. How clean is it? And then soap, and then soap in a brush. And they learn. You know, they can see. So some of those things help people change the culture. Okay. I was just going to ask you, I'm currently in the inner city. Has there been any uh, domestic application of this, of the women uh, cycle and the men matters curriculum in the inner city Men Matters is so new, I don't know whether it's been tried in uh, urban slums or not. Women's Cycle of Life certainly has. I can't tell you as many of the stories, though, because I haven't been directly involved. But I would say that one of the problems we're having with Women's Cycle of Life right now is the people are so excited about implementing Women's Cycle of Life that they'll do it when they have not had any training in how to do community health evangelism how to do the participatory training, 
And as a result, you'll have a short-term team that will go over and very excitedly teach women's cycle of life. And our experience has been the people are very excited during the training and a year later, nothing is different. So in order to make things different, you have to have local ownership. I'll be back to you in just a second. Is there any... How do you get men to be interested in a program like this other than uh, women's, uh, the effects that they've seen in women's cycle of life? I don't know. <laughs> and others, men as a whole are not as kept in the dark about what's going on in their life. But when they see their wives just growing like a flower, they say, wow, am I missing something? And then they become much more interested. So I, it, it's possible that people will be interested independently where I think there is a big opportunity for potential short-term teams in the future is because so few places around the world know anything about men matter. It's the kind of thing where you might be able to add something to CHE programs and other places to add a new dimension to what they're doing so they become programs that are still going in 20 years. The thing that amazes me about the programs in Congo is that they were more vibrant now than they were 20 years ago. But the reason is they have very remarkable leadership. They have wonderful amounts of focus on prayer and a person's walk with God. They've been planning churches like crazy. And when you have that vibrant spiritual element to what is happening, the sustainability of the program is much higher. I came in a little bit late, so you might have discussed this already. I just wanted to ask uh, if you could deal with intimate partner violence, domestic violence at all, and if you have any data around that. Because I know in Ethiopia, for example, I mean, there's some villages that have 60% uh, reports of 60% violence in the past 12 months, and mm-hmm. 90% expect their husband to be the Yes, domestic violence is very much part of what we talk about how husbands and wives should relate to each other by biblical principles. We always have a problem when we start talking about behavioral norms when we are seen as people who have a different culture and therefore different expectations and what we're talking about applies to us but doesn't apply to them. That's why we have to say this is not what the West says about uh, spousal violence. This is what the Bible says about the way you're supposed to treat your wife. So that's the way we have approached it. And yes, indeed, um, domestic violence is a huge issue and one of the big attracting factors for both men and women's cycle of life. Yes. How receptive are the men to getting engaged in a program like this when the person that they're contacting is female? Um, men Matters is generally better taught by men. Worldwide, many of the trainers of community health evangelism are men. So we've actually had more problems teaching the women's cycle of life than teaching Men Matters as an addition to women's cycle of life. Well, you guys have been great. I, one more question here.
One of the websites is, is on the handout I've given you, which is the website for Medical Ambassadors International. Another that is very helpful is chainetwork.org. Um, chainetwork.org will have input from a lot of the 625 missions that are trying community health evangelism. What we do ourselves is only about a third of what Medical Ambassadors does, but they have contact with a wider sphere of people than we do. Well, this has been wonderful for me. Now I, ha I have a bribe to offer you. If you would like to have a copy of the Bible Storying CD, I have some here. And for the small price of signing up to receive a story about medical ambassadors in Chase someplace around the world once a month and receiving a monthly, a, a, a semi-annually nice color magazine talking about community health evangelism activities, um, then you'd have to put your name on a list here, suffer your mailbox, and then therefore get a copy of the CD for Bible storying that talks about this. Uh, it's a, there's about 750 files on it, but it's probably only about 600 unique Bible stories. Uh, I should tell you one thing about the Bible storying CD. The Bible storying has a terrible underbelly, and that is if... I tell people some really clever questions to use with a story. People will often remember the story and the fact that there were clever questions that went with it, but they won't repeat the story because they can't remember the clever questions and they don't want to ruin the story by not having those great questions to ask afterwards. So they keep their mouth shut. So we've used some of the disciple-making movement questions that they have used in their Bible stories to create a set of standard questions that can be used on any Bible story. And then if you can remember the story and the standard questions, you're set to go. We find that the story-specific questions are better as people become more mature Christians. The standard questions are a very good place to start for young Christians. So there's the chance to sign up. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate your being here.